Good morning, church family. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Gabe, and I work on your behalf um, to train our church in worship through song and through prayer and today uh, through preaching. Um, and today, it's, it's a privilege to open God's word with you. Um, and today, where we're headed is we're, we're looking at the power of words. And if you think about it, it's kind of funny how such little things um, have enormous power in our world. In the 1989 film Dead Poets Society, uh, Rob, yeah, Robin Williams plays an eccentric English teacher named John Keating at an all-boys school. And in one of Keating's lectures, he says this. He, he gathers all the boys around in the classroom and he says, no matter what anyone tells you, words and ideas can change the world. And I think Keating was right. Words have not only changed the world, but in the Christian narrative, we believe that words created the world, that God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let us make man in our image, and humanity was born. Words have enormous power, and like our creator, we've been given the gift of speech. Have you ever stopped to think that humans are the only creature on God's earth that hosts conferences, recite poetry, and have late-night existential conversations? We're the only people that do that. I don't see cats or dogs doing that. But like our creator, we have the power of words, right? I have a dream, MLK's powerful words that sparked a movement. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Thomas Jefferson, will you marry me? Words that we use to start um, a lifelong relationship. And while words can have profoundly positive effects, there is a much more uh, twisted side. Uh, On my walk to work, there's a bar I pass every day called The Neighbors. And uh, as I walk past it, I think of how many times uh, one spouse has said to the other, hey, honey, I'll be right back. I'm just going to The Neighbors, right? (laughs) Right? Uh, And more sinisterly, maybe you've said this or maybe you've heard this said to you, I hate you. Why do you always do blank? You will never be good enough. Words have power. And today from Psalm 12, I want us to see um, man's perversion of words, the perversion of man's words, the purity of God's words, and the protection that we can have in Christ. Today, what I hope is spoken into us by the word of God is a deep freedom from twisted words, freedom from using our words for ambitious gain, and the freedom to use our words for the glory of God and the good of others. Today, what I want us to see is how protection in God helps us gracefully let down our guard. And so here's how we're going to get there. We're going to look at the perversion of man's words, the purity of God's words, and the protection. The perversion, the purity, protection, if you're into that kind of thing. Um, And so uh, let's start here. Uh, Point one, the perversion of man's words. Psalm 12, verses 1 and 2. Read it with me. I think we have it on the screen. It says, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. The faithful have vanished from among the children of men. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. At the start of this psalm, we see a striking plea from David. He says, save, O Lord. Keep in mind that David was a mighty warrior. And so for him to cry out, save, O Lord, meant he must have been in a grip of trouble. For David to cry out, save, O Lord, something must be happening. Uh, But interestingly enough, this trouble is not a gathering militia. It's not a coup. It's not an army surrounding his kingdom. 
It's utterances in speech that drive David to his knees. It's lies to a neighbor. It's flattering lips in a double heart that drive David, saying, save, O Lord. And the result, it would seem, is that the godly have gone away. Whether they've died or whether they've been consumed into lying and flattery themselves, I don't know. But the point is that the godly are rare among the children of men. The lies present in Psalm or in this psalm are of the quality of flattery. These aren't blatant lies as if I were to tell you that I played in the NBA in college, right? Like that would be a blatant lie. Based on my physical attributes, there's no way I could play in the NBA in college, right? I have a two-inch vert. It's not that pretty. No, these lies are much more deceptive. He says, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. And so uh, one of the translations I read, it said um, for the words double heart, you can translate that a heart and a heart. Not as if they had like two lungs, but um, what the psalmist means by a heart and a heart or the double heart is um, the outward presentation and the inward expectation, right? So there's a heart um, that inwardly is self-seeking and self-motivating and another heart that presents well to get exactly what it wants and what it says it needs. Um, And so uh, in this psalm, we see the double-hearted flatterer presenting encouragement and praise while inwardly they are seeking their own gain, sneakily moving their own agenda forward and manipulating with words to achieve their own selfish desires. And this is the deception of flattery. You see, flattery is, um, is not false words, but it's actually the opposite. Flattery is true words spoken for wrong motivations. Flattery is true words spoken from wrong motivations. Much like the snake in the garden who told us um, and took true words and contorted them to, for his own motives to drive humanity away from God, so the flatterer in this psalm is using true words for wrong motivations. And this is a very bad way to be. Uh, Thomas Adams, a commentator on this passage, puts it this way. He says, a man without a heart is a wonder, but a man with two hearts That man is a monster. And in this psalm, David prays um, a powerful and gruesome prayer for these monsters. Read with me Psalm uh, 12, 3 and 4. It says, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, With our tongue we we shall prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? This psalmist calls God to destroy the instruments of lies, to cut off the lips and the tongues that make great boasts. And while this is imaginative, David is praying for the flatterer to come to an end. Because from here, we've seen just how perverted the lies of the flatterer have become. The words of the double-hearted increase. They escalate, saying, with our tongues, we shall prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Literally, who is Lord over us? In music, there's a thing called a crescendo. How many of you guys know what a crescendo is, right? For those of you who did not raise your hand, it is, um, it's the loudest point reached in an increasing sound. So, for example, um, if I were to take this symbol here and play it, I'll just put it right here. Jeremy, you can have this back later. Um, so if I were to start out with just a slight ping, um, 
That would be like the bottom of the crescendo. But as you kind of add fours, it builds up, right? And that's the crescendo. And I think what the psalmist is doing in this psalm is he is showing the crescendo of the wicked man's speech, right? It starts out as utterances, just small words. And then it moves to speak, and it gains fours. And then it moves to great boasts. And by the end, there is a full-on guttural rebellion from God saying, who is Lord over us? The crescendo grows from the smallest words, perverted truth, to a a full-on guttural rebellion from God. Eyes once set on humanity have now been set on the divine. We can conquer humanity. What's to stop us from conquering God himself. This is the power of perverted words. And flattery still holds true for us today in Omaha 2019. We can fall prey to being flattered and we can fall prey to flattering. Some politicians will use flattery to gain your vote. Some marketeers will use flattery to gain a dollar. And more covertly and most impactfully, we use flattery to deceive ourselves, right? Uh, Have you ever promoted yourself as being something uh, a little better than you actually are by saying, I'm not not really that bad, and I try really, really hard. I'm at least better than Jeff in accounting, who's a terrible employee, right? (laughs) Have you ever given an insincere compliment? Have you ever pretended to be interested because you wanted something from someone? Have you ever prayed this prayer? Miguel gave me this example uh, yesterday. Have you ever prayed this prayer? God, I will do blank if you get me a date with that girl. I'm looking at these college guys over here. <laughs> right? Like, that's, that's how we play this game with God. We try to manipulate him the way we would humanity. Our most charitable acts can be done from a double heart. The most true gospel presentation can be done from a double heart. Our kindest regards can be, Jesus says, we use to control our world. Jesus says this in Luke 6.45, from the abundance of the mouth, or from the abundance of the heart, rather, the mouth speaks. Unfortunately, neither of our hearts, apart from Christ, have been filled with anything good. Marilyn Monroe famously said that flattery will get you everywhere. And by contrast, Jesus says this. uh, This people worships me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, while flattery may get you everywhere amongst humanity, it will never prevail against the holy and just God. Lying, flattering, double-hearted speech will quickly be sniffed out by God. And eventually, on the day of the Lord, the last day, uh, it will be snuffed out by God like a burning cigarette. And so it's with sadness that we can say with the psalmist and with the prophet Isaiah, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amidst a people of unclean lips. That is our reality amidst the double-hearted flatterous generation. Do you feel the weight of the power of words and how we've twisted them? Have you seen the crescendo of humanity's problem, the double heart? 
And maybe now at this point, you're crying out with David, save, O Lord. And that is when the good news enters. In our second set of verses, we see God answering the prayer of David. Look with me at Psalm 12, 5, and 6 as we start our second point, the purity of God's word. Psalm 12, 5, and 6. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. This is the first time God speaks in the whole book of Psalms. Up until this point, we haven't heard anything from God. I don't know if it's chronological or how it's laid out, but that's just how it is. From Psalms 1 to 12, God has said nothing. And here in Psalm 12, God says, because the poor are plundered, I will arise. God answers the prayer of David because he sees the poor being plundered. And that is the result of our flatterous world, right? The casualties of flattery are hit or be hit. Take advantage of or be taken advantage of. That's how the flatterous society works. There is no other way. It's survival of the double-hearted, a competition in deceit. But because the poor are plundered, God arises. This past uh, week, I was doing something inside when I heard a piercing scream come from the front of my house. And I ran outside and my wife uh, had screamed really, really loud because she found like five or six snakes in our bushes outside of our house. Just little gardener snakes. Nothing to be scared of. But my wife was really scared. Um, And in that moment, I I asked her to point out where the bushes were. As I approached the bushes, uh, five or six gardener snakes scattered. They all just ran away at the presence of something bigger than themselves. And I think that's the picture that we get in this psalm. That's the picture we get in this psalm. God has moved to action because of the poor. And God's heart is towards the oppressed, the poor and the needy. And because of that, God says he will arise. But contrary to God snuffing out the double-hearted, he promises instead to place the poor and needy into safety. And this is an interesting thing considering the violence that has probably happened, right? God ends the cycle of violence of the double-hearted, not through more violence, but through taking the poor and needy and placing them into his safety. And this psalm is not talking about the end times exactly. Rather, it's talking about our present double-hearted world. God will put an end to all injustice, but in this moment, he takes the poor and needy and places them into safety. And how do we know that this is true? The way that we know that this is true is because the Lord or the word of the Lord goes forth. There is no double-hearted flattery. There is no manipulation. In verse 6, the psalmist makes this very clear. He says it a few times, so we can't miss it, right? He says three times, the word of the Lord is pure. It is refined. It is purified, not once, but seven times. That's how pure the word of God is. And the reason God's word is so pure is because it is ultimate truth. There's not a remnant of falsehood, not a strain of untrue dross in his word. It's like silver. While flatterers have empty encouragements and praises, the word of the Lord is strong, sure, refined, and secure. The words of the Lord are the purest words you will ever hear. And the word of the Lord is the purest person you will ever meet. 
in John 1.14, it says this very blatantly about Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus literally was the word of God, pure and blameless God incarnate. And today in this passage, I want us to see that we are the poor and needy if we want to be, right? We are the ones who need saving, not only from flattering lips, but from our own flattering hearts. The promise of God is that he will create a sanctuary for all who are oppressed and place us in his safety. The flatterer will look at your oppression and look at your longings and see an opportunity, a quick dollar, a vote, a one-night stand. But when God looks at your longings, he sees the oppression that you're in, right? He sees how you've become a slave to flattering words. He's seen how I've become a slave to sin. He sees how ultimately we become slaves to death. But now the Lord arises to rescue the oppressed. This is a gospel picture we see here in Luke 4, 6. Jesus is in the temple and he stands up and he says this, Luke 4, 18. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty all who are oppressed. This is God's plan, the word of the Lord going forth to set us free. Because of our double hearts and flattering lips, Jesus stood up in the temple and fulfilled the prophecy that he has come. And yet with our flattering lips and false testimony, we buried him in the ground. But in his power and purity, Jesus rose so that we might be brought into the safety of God. Should we place our faith in him? While we were enemies of God, poor, needy, plundering each other to be master of our own world, Christ died for us. While we, with flattering lips, tried to present our best case to God and manipulate him, Christ died for us. While we were double-hearted children of Satan, Christ died for us. God will save us from our plundering and fulfill our deepest longings. And if you're... um, asking the question, but how do we know that this is for sure? Surely there must be something I have to do. Nothing is for free. That's the only world I've ever known. Let me, uh, let me remind you of what the old hymn says. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. And what does he require? The song goes on to say, all the fitness he requires is to feel your need for him. For the double-hearted, there is absolutely no rest. It's hit or be hit, take advantage of or be taken advantage of. But for the poor and needy, God has sanctuary, protection, and peace forevermore. And so let me ask you, and let me ask myself, when was the last time you let yourself be poor? to realize you don't actually have to have it together. When was the last time you let yourself be needy to feel your need for Christ? This is the freedom of the gospel. It liberates us to be, liberates us to be poor and needy. 
And so today we have a choice to continue on living a double-hearted, flatterous life. Or we can say, save, O oh Lord, I am poor and needy. And because of man's perverted words, God has now risen. That's the promise of the safety. God's word is pure and true. And now he's called us to enter into his safety. And so we can respond with the psalmist if we're poor and needy um, as he praises God for the protection he's found. So we've seen so far the, the perversion of man's words, the purity of God's words. And now let us respond in praise um, at the protection God offers. Read with me Psalm 12, 7 through 8 as we look at the protection God offers. It says, You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of men. Here we see David cry out once more, but no longer is he crying in agony, but in praise. Right? He says, you, O Lord, will keep them. Here David is praising God for the truth that he will keep the poor and needy in his safety. He will guard them from this generation forever. Like a lion guarding his pride, God will... And these promises reflect God's continual keeping and guarding of his people. This, is, this isn't a safety you can step out of because it is the work of God to keep you and the work of God to guard you. It is the work of God only. And we cannot fall away from this promise. This is extremely good news for God's people who are living amidst a pit of snakes. The psalmist um, in verse 8 sort of looks down from God's high tower and he remembers the wicked pit of vipers all around. On every side, the wicked prowl. All around, evil lies, flattery, double-hearted people strutting about. Can you hear them jeering? God will not save you. Come down from his tower. We will prevail over it anyway. So you might as well come down now. The picture is bleak. Yet inside, there's safety for God's people. Amidst a wicked generation, there's safety for God's people. Amidst adversity, God promises protection. God has not removed mankind from amidst the wicked, but he has placed them in his safety, kind of like a scuba cage, right? Where um, God's people are still surrounded by predators and sharks, but they are safe inside the security of God. And today, I think it's this divine protection that speaks volumes to how we can use our words rightfully once again. We can use the power of our words, not for selfish ambition, but for God and his glory, right? Uh, what would it look like? Let me ask you this question. What would it look like for the redeemed in Christ to use their words contra to how the world uses them? What would it look like for Providence Church, us, to use our words contra to how Blackstone uses them? What would it look like uh, for all the engineers in the room to use your words contra to how the rest of your engineering friends use them? Right? Instead of building yourself up, we could wholeheartedly encourage and call out greatness in our friends, coworkers, without expecting anything in return, without trying to manipulate a situation, but just because God has freed us to do that. Instead of defending ourselves, we could defend 
someone else or the marginalized, right? Instead of empty flattery, uh, we could be lovingly blunt, right? We're free to speak the truth in love because our words don't define us. God's word does. Instead of using our words for our own praise and helping people to praise us, we could give them back to God in true praise. Because we're safe and secure and sheltered in God, this gives us radical freedom to use our words as only a new creation can. Providence, our words are broken. That's the state of our broken world. Our hearts are doubled. Our speech is doubled. It's been forked just like a snake's tongue. But God promises us his pure word to make us right, to make us true. And now we get to live in the protection of God and use our words for the good of God and the glory of others. And to that end, let me pray for us that God would do just that. Um, Communion servers, you can come forward. Band, come on up. Father God, we need your true and pure word. Jesus, we need you. God, we have nothing on our own. We've been beating each other senseless with our words. Would you come and save us, oh Lord, God? Remind us (laughs) that we can't do it on our own, Lord. God, help us to come to you poor and needy. And in that moment, Lord, would you put your true word inside of us so that we might speak truth to the world around us. Jesus, only you can do this. Holy Spirit, only you can do this. So would you do it in this people, God? Would Providence Church reflect your true and good word in our city, speaking the truth in love and speaking honest encouragements with sincere hearts because you freed us to do so. In your holy name, amen.